Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all, and um, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. And uh, be sure to call your dad today and tell him how awesome he is. Um, if you turn to your Bibles to Hebrews 13, uh, we are wrapping up the book of Hebrews over the next couple Sundays together. Uh, it's been a great ride for the past uh, 10 months, and I'm looking forward to uh, drawing it to some conclusion here. So as you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we will be in the first 16 verses of that chapter today. Let me pray uh, as we open God's Word together. Uh, Father God in heaven, you are a glorious God. Uh, you are a great father uh, to your children. And uh, Lord, as we pause today, although we uh, remember and uh, respect our fathers that you've given us on earth more so, we see your goodness to us as the perfect father, the most loving father, the most gracious and merciful father uh, who does amazing things for his children. So God, we thank you that in Christ we are your adopted sons and daughters. God, that you have drawn us into your family uh, so that we can call you Abba, Father, and you call us your children. God, now I pray that as we open your scriptures, uh, that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive this good news, Lord, that you would shape us to be more like your true and perfect son, Jesus. God, we ask that you do these things for your glory and for our joy, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth to the nations. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teach, teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not been benefit those who devoted to them. We have an altar to which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is God's word. Friends in Christ Jesus, we are part of a gospel legacy. Receiving grace and sharing grace with others. And this good news changes everything for us for eternity, but also here and now. Today is Father's Day. And I want us all to pause and think about our fathers. 
Maybe you have a great relationship with your father. Maybe your father is a very noble and respectful man. Maybe your father has done amazing things to uh, influence you and influence others. Maybe your father is uh, not what you had hoped. Maybe your father has uh, brought great disappointment to you and your family. Maybe you have a bad relationship with your father. You see, uh, fathers have uh, an amazing uh, opportunity to influence those under their care for good or for bad. And for some of us in this room, we are fathers, and we are struggling with how to be great influencers of our sons and daughters, of our children, uh, to lead uh, them a gospel legacy and to lead them into a relationship with Christ. But at the end of the day, no matter what your relationship with your father looks like, no matter what the character of your father may be, at the end of the day, we have a relationship with a true and greater father in heaven. And we have that relationship through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the legacy in which we are a part of is not defined by the good or bad things from our family that may be passed down from generation to generation, but rather the legacy we are a part of is a gospel legacy in God, our creator, through Jesus Christ, our savior. And that's good news for us. And being part of this legacy is, is we are recipients of grace. Scripture says that we have been brought into a new, eternal, heavenly city as citizens of God's kingdom that is eternal. This is good news for us. And therefore, we have a new way of living here and now because we see that our eternal lives are something far better, far greater than anything we could expect here. No matter what your relationship with your father may be, no matter what kind of triumphs or failures you've done as a father, no matter what kind of family you come from or faith background you come from or traditions you are a part of or uh, what your upbringing is, in Christ you are part of this great epic legacy in the gospel. It's something you receive and it's something you leave for others. And so what I want us to see today is to see how in Christ we are brought into this great gospel story of redemption and how we live our lives differently to point others to the true perfect Father in heaven through Jesus Christ, the true and perfect Son. This changes everything how you and I will live today if we have a gospel perspective. And so what I want us to see today is what it, what it means to be living the gospel legacy. Those who have received grace as part of this gospel legacy, but also those who are passing grace out to others as part of this gospel legacy. In the passage we've seen here, we are, we're at the very last chapter of the book of Hebrews. And so for the past several months, we've seen how Jesus is our true and better priest, our true and better king, the true and better savior, the true and better shepherd. We see how that in Christ we are brought into this new identity as God's adopted children, as adopted sons and daughters, new citizens of a new and better city. And that changes how we live today. So I want us to see, verse 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Such a powerful statement that I want us to springboard off of this morning. You see, Scripture tells us to remember, remember our leaders, to consider those of the faith who have gone before. It could be leaders uh, in, in our midst, like the first century church is reading this, and the writer saying, hey, remember those in your midst who have led you well. I mean, the, the apostles that, that were sent out by Jesus to write Scripture and plant churches and make disciples, remember them. 
and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. But by implication, we can draw from this today for you and I. We can look back to those who have influenced us for good in the gospel. Maybe it's a pastor or a grandfather or a father or or a missionary, what have you. Someone who has left a great legacy in the gospel. And here's what I love about that statement. It says, remember your leaders. That means to consider them. I mean, it means to think about them, not just, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. But, But to really think about, consider what someone's life looked like. And scripture says, imitate their faith. I love that statement. It doesn't say imitate their way of life. It says consider the outcome of their way of life, but imitate their faith. You see, we often get confused as Christians thinking, well, this person that I respect in the faith has done great things for the gospel. Therefore, I want to copy them verbatim. I just want to do everything like that person. And you end up struggling, failing, feeling unfulfilled, and wondering, well, am, am I a loser in the faith? But you see, Scripture does not call us to copy each other's ways of life. I mean, we're not to emulate the life of our leaders, but rather we're to imitate their faith. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time at Redemption Church, you know we often talk about faith being uh, belief, but also ongoing relational trust in a person. That's, that's Jesus. I mean, belief is not just some intellectual assent. It, it is an ongoing relational trust in Jesus as your Savior. Jesus is your sanctifier. Jesus is the one who paves the way for you to live life in the gospel. And this can look drastically different. We can have different uh, lifestyles, different life choices in the gospel, yet the same faith. Are you with me? This is why you can be like me in, in, my, in my story and have a, a, a Sunday school teacher when you're in sixth grade who, who's a woman that goes on to do mission work in China for years and years and years, but God didn't call me to China. But but I can imitate her faith because she did things in light of the gospel. You see, you you can imitate imitate, uh, someone's faith, and that's in line of the gospel, but have greatly differences of ways of life. This is why in the gospel you can homeschool your children or public school your children. The important point is not copying school choices, but rather imitating faith. This is why you can have stay-at-home moms and also working moms. This is why you can have blue-collar and white-collar. This is why you can have people who serve overseas for the gospel and those who serve in downtown Augusta with the gospel and those who coach soccer in the suburbs with the gospel. This is why you have people that start their own business and other people that do uh, work the corporate ladder of the structure that's already in place. This is why you have people that stay put for a lifetime and other people that travel from place to place. doesn't matter. We don't copy life. We imitate faith. And what I want us to see is how this shakes out in daily life today. Because scripture here gives us, in this set of uh, verses this morning, several different examples of what it means to live a life of gospel legacy. It's not homogeny, it's great diversity, but the faith is the plumb line. Not life but faith that we imitate. So look at a few things with me this morning, and I hope that this is where the rubber hits the road for us in Hebrews. And we've had we've had 12 chapters of theological, mind-blowing things, and then the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up with some greatly practical things. 
I mean, 12 chapters of Jesus this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because Jesus this, because you're this, this is what life looks like. So see with me what he says. First thing he says this. If you are living the gospel legacy in your life, if you are imitating the faith that Christ has laid out before us, the first thing you will see is love for other Christians. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Short sentence. Huge implications. Let brotherly love continue. I mean, this implies that it's been going on to begin with. Let brotherly love continue. In the first century church, there was this great familiar concept. And we talk about God being our Father, Jesus being our Savior, who adopts us into God's family. We are adopted sons and daughters. That means we are brothers and sisters. Brotherly love is not just a male statement. It means brothers and sisters. It's like, you know, your, your relationships with your brothers and sisters. That love is to continue. Love, not just affection, but an action. This may sound like a goofy question, but do you love your Christian brothers and sisters? Not only with affection, but like with your service and, 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 and prioritizing time with them and seeking their good above your own and praying for them. Do you love your brothers and sisters? I'll be honest with you guys. I bought into this stupid lie in my youth 15 years ago that you can love Jesus and hate the church. That's wrong. That's not gospel. You can say, I love Jesus, but his church is just all messed up. You know what? His church is messed up. And if you come to into his body, into his church, it's not going to get any less messed up. The beauty of the gospel is that we imitate the faith of Christ and his apostles, our leaders that God has put before us, not in lifestyle, but in their faith, their ongoing trust in Jesus. So letting brotherly love continue, loving other believers with affection and service and action means committing yourself to Jesus, trusting that Jesus has put other men and women in your life for his glory and for your good. That's hard to understand for us. Because for a few years of my life, I said, you know what? Christians really tick me off. I'm just going to read my Bible by myself and be a little hermit. And boy, I got weird. I got weirder and weirder. And I've not quite yet recovered. I'm an introvert. Give me my Bible, a jug of water, put me in a kayak and push me down the river. I'm fine by myself. But what I, become, what I came to realize is that the men and women God has put in my life is not only hopefully me encouraging you for your good, but you encouraging me for my good, for God's glory. It's part of my sanctification. Because we see here that in the context of this, uh, verse 9 says, Do not let a, be led away by the diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You know, your heart cannot be strengthened by grace when you're by yourself only. God will use solitude to build you up. God, I'm a big fan of solitude. Grab your Bible. Go to the woods. Pray fast. Meditate. God uses that to strengthen your heart and grace. But you know what else he uses to strengthen your heart and grace? Other believers. He uses other Christians to come alongside of you to pray for you and to serve you and for you to serve and pray for and for you to grow in faith and struggle, to have disagreements, to have fights, to argue, to be discouraged, to be frustrated. That is iron sharpening iron. The friction is good when it's gospel friction. I mean, if it's just mean, angry insanity, that's for the birds. But if it's gospel friction, that's a good thing. 
If we look to Christ as our Savior, as our sanctifier, as we look to God as our Father, as we see that we are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, when I can look at you and say, yeah, you're a sinner, so am I. Let's look to Jesus together. It's a good thing. Our hearts are strengthened by grace. So I want to ask you this. How are you showing love for other Christians? Affection, but also your, your, your time and your service to other Christians. Do you know other Christians in this church community? We're a small church community. Are you making relational connections for the sake of the gospel for your betterment so that your heart can be strengthened by grace, so that you can encourage others' hearts to be strengthened by grace? All right? Are you? If not, you should. Try it. In fact, right now, this is going to be weird. I don't care. I want everybody to take 30 seconds and look at the person in front of you, behind you, beside you, and just say, hey, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. Just do it right now. enough fellowship. You can do that on your own time. We're back on this time. You know, we're true rebels. Some churches do that at the beginning of service. Some do it at the end. We do it right in the middle of a sermon. You know what? I might do it between point four and five, too, just to really mess with you. All right. So love for other Christians, fellowship of the church with other believers. Are you making connections for your good, for God's glory, and for the joy of other people in the Christian community that God has you in? All right, this is not a perfect church, but God has placed you here for a reason, for his glory, for your good, and for the gospel to advance through you to other people in this room. So uh, make connections with other believers. Scripture says, let brotherly love continue. That means have gospel love for brothers and sisters in Christ, not only here, but others in the community. It's okay to be friends with people at other churches. You know, I've met one or two Baptists who were pretty nice. I don't know. I've met a Presbyterian, but uh, I'm just kidding. I went to a Presbyterian seminary. I was like the one non-Presbyterian. And uh, God used me to teach them grace. Just saying. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'd show up in jeans. Okay, never mind. It's a little rough around the edges. God used them to grow me, my heart, and grace, and their heart and grace. That's what God does uh, because he has a sense of humor. All right, first, uh, love for other Christians. Secondly, we see that living the gospel legacy means you have hospitality towards strangers. Verse 2 says this, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. All right, there's a difference between fellowship and hospitality. Sometimes we think I'm a hospitable person because I have Christians over to my house all the time. No, that means you're very good at fellowship. Fellowship is brotherly love. Uh, Christians getting together with other Christians, that's fellowship. Hospitality is extending grace to non-Christians. Strangers, people who are not in the faith, people who are not imitating the faith the way brothers and sisters in Christ do. This does not mean pick up hitchhikers constantly. This does mean uh, show grace to those who are not Christians. That's what a stranger is in this context, those who are strangers to the faith. God has placed each and every one of you in unique spheres of influence for the gospel. 
God may have placed you in a neighborhood, in a family, uh, in a school environment, in a work environment. Maybe you have a hobby. Maybe you're coaching Little League or something. Or maybe you're teaching dance classes or what have you. Maybe you frequent a coffee shop or a grocery store or something. You're making connections with people. God placed you there on purpose. It's so that you can build up uh, the hearts of others. Like verse 9 says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So you love other Christians to strengthen their hearts in grace and to have your heart strengthened in grace. Secondly, you are uh, showing hospitality to strangers, those who aren't in the faith, so that you can extend grace to them so their hearts will be strengthened in grace. And likewise, God will strengthen your heart in grace. If you hang out with a non-Christian, it's an amazing way for God to strengthen your heart with grace and faith. It really is. And so what I want you all to consider, and I've been considering this myself, uh, is how are we extending service to non-Christians for the sake of building their hearts in grace? All right, we have a huge opportunity as a church in the coming months when we move into a new building on Broad Street, right in the midst of the creative arts community, a couple blocks from the medical district. We're right in the, in the heart of a lot. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to extend hospitality to those who aren't in the faith. This means opening our doors collectively as a church with, with a building to steward. We'll be able to open our doors to invite non-Christians into that Context for the sake of relationship building. Maybe art shows, maybe music events. I don't know yet. We'll see. But it's a great opportunity we have as a church body to open our doors, to invite others in for hospitality, for the sake of, of being served toward uh, gospel reconciliation with Christ. It's awesome. But also we have this as personal opportunities. I mean, is there somebody at your school that's not a Christian, maybe your lab partner or, or whatever? Or is there uh, some parent of a kid that you coach in soccer that's not a Christian? How are you building that relationship? Or maybe it's your neighbor. Or maybe it's someone in your family. There's a lot of non-Christians in my family. And uh, one particular a relative of mine has just been heavy on my heart for months. And um, convicted when I read this. To think, you know, he's not in the faith. He's not a Christian. He's a, he's a stranger to the faith. How am I loving and serving him in hopes that he will come to be rescued by Jesus? And uh, it's hard, but it's what God calls us to do. So love for other Christians, hospitality towards strangers. These are two aspects of living the gospel legacy. If you were a Christian, you, you have to do this. Not so that God will love you, but because he loves you. Because you are a child of God, this is what children of God do. So, don't do this to get saved, but if you're saved, you should do these things. That's all I'm saying. Thirdly, I want to see this. So, love for Christians, hospitality to strangers. Thirdly, excuse me, care for the downtrodden. All right, verse 3 says, remember those who were in prison as though in prison with them, and those who were mistreated since you also are in the body. Interesting verse. In the context, you have to see that there is the Roman occupation, right? People getting oppressed, taxed 70 to 90% of their income, people getting thrown in prison for debt, people getting thrown in prison for their faith, people preaching the gospel and being executed, thrown to lions, set on fire, heads off, poison, horrible stuff. In the context of this verse, remember those who are in prison as specifically to those who are being persecuted for their faith, right? 
But the application could extend beyond just that. It could extend for those who were caught in sin, in struggles, experiencing hardship financially or maritally or uh, job transitions or whatever. People who were at a hard spot in their faith, in their practical life. People who were facing the consequences of bad decisions, even sin. Several years ago, a friend of mine who was at this church uh, did something dumb, got arrested, came to faith in Jesus. Called me from jail, said, you'll never believe, just lit up on fire with the gospel, came out swinging, just telling people about Jesus to the point that you're like, dude, enough already. Can we talk about something else? It was very inspiring and encouraging. All right. He ended up having to go back to jail for a couple months. Not because he did anything bad, but because his past caught up with him. This poor guy whose life had been just changed drastically for the gospel, doing amazing things for the gospel, something from his past years ago caught up with him. And he had to go pay the piper for three months and sat in a detention center, disheartened and discouraged, but then said, you know what, God's put me here for a reason. Started a Bible study, we started sending him Bibles into the jail so he could lead a Bible study. Led a couple dudes to Jesus, no big deal, right? Awesome gospel opportunity. In the same way, think about who you know, maybe somebody who is living a life of the gospel now, but has a past that's catching up with them. Or maybe they're not even living a life in the gospel. Maybe they're just total heathens, but they're caught in sin, caught in struggles. Maybe they're in prison. Scripture says we're to remember them. Living a gospel legacy means caring for those who are downtrodden, hard on their luck, even if it is their fault. We're still to care for them. Is it just me or is it easy to say, well, that poor guy, he can't help it, let me serve him. And then some other guy comes up totally wicked and stupid and you can just dismiss him and say, you know, you're digging your own grave there, buddy. You're making your own bed, go lie in it. That's pretty easy to do, isn't it? Walk down Broad Street and if somebody walks up to you and says, hey man, I have a flat tire and you see their kids in their car, you're probably going to help them, right? But if some guy walks up to you drunk and, say, and it's like the 10th time he walks up to you drunk asking for $2 for a bus ticket that he's never, ever going to buy... Pretty easy to dismiss that guy, right? Is it just me? Probably. But let me tell you, Scripture tells us to care for those who are downtrodden, even those who are in sin and struggles by their own doing. Right? I'm not saying give his money to a guy so he can go get drunk, but I am saying we're to find a way to care for those who need gospel reconciliation. Don't give money to a guy so he can go buy drugs, but maybe go buy him food. I don't know. Use your discretion. Fourthly, so who do you know? Who do you know that's down on their luck? Who do you know that's downtrodden? Where has God placed you to engage those who are downtrodden? How are you engaging them in the sake of the gospel? So living the gospel legacy means loving other Christians, showing hospitality to strangers. Thirdly, caring for those who are downtrodden. Fourthly, there's only five, so don't worry. Fourthly, are you guys ready to shake hands and hug again? Okay, we'll do that after the next one. Fourthly, purity in marriage. If you're single, don't check out. This applies to you as well. If you're not married, don't check out. Number four applies to you, right? This is written to the church at large. Old people, young people, married, single, widows, divorcees. This is for everybody, so listen carefully. Purity in marriage, right? Verse four says, let marriage be held in honor among all. So if you're married, marriage better be held in honor. If you're single, marriage is to be held in honor. Marriage is to be held in honor by all 
And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Very hard verse. I encourage you to get on a plan to read the entire Bible. And in your mind, as you're reading, see the picture of marriage as God to his people. Right, Christ and the church, the New Testament tells us. It's a marriage story. It's a story of a groom chasing his wayward bride. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God is, is seen as he's portrayed as a loving husband, and Israel is portrayed as, a, as an adulterous bride. And he chases her down and rescues her time and time again. We get to the New Testament. We see that Christ is the groom, and the church is his bride, and the church is wayward, and Christ is pursuing his way bride so too God places marriage for his glory for our joy and as a portrait of the gospel this is where I get old-school fundamentalist man woman period that's it we can argue politics we can argue whatever but if you want a portrait of the gospel man Woman, period. God's the father chasing his wayward bride, Israel. Christ is the groom chasing his wayward bride, the church. Bride, groom, that's it. Topic for a different day, but that's what the Bible says. Hard times, right? What does this mean for you if you are single? It says, let the marriage bed be undefiled, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Sexual immorality and adultery is any kind of sexual activity outside the bonds of biblical marriage. Now, if you have experienced that or are experiencing that, there is grace in the gospel. There is forgiveness in Christ. Right now, go and sin no more. No matter what you did last night, in Christ you were forgiven. There is grace. I I want is my prayer. Like verse 9 says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's why you're here. This verse does not say the church is the judge. This verse does not say that Jeremy will judge the sexually immoral. I'm not going to judge you. Nobody in this room ought to judge you. Our goal is to see that our hearts are being strengthened by grace. It's what I'm hoping you're hearing here. I want, you, I want you to walk away saying, my heart is strengthened by grace because I heard the gospel preached today. And I got to sing gospel stuff over one another, and somebody gave me a donut and a handshake. That's, I want your heart to be strengthened by grace. My prayer walking up here today. But scripture is clear. God is commanding us through his word that sexual immorality and adultery is wrong. So if you're single, don't have sex until you're married. If you're married, have sex with your spouse. Kids, I'm sorry I said that. Just talk to your parents. I forgot there's, <laughs> I forgot there's kids in the room. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Long lunch conversation coming. My daughter's in the room. I'm sweating. Oh, boy. That's what Scripture says. Oh. What this means is to have pure, uh, biblical, I am really sweating right now, biblical <laughs> relationships. It's Father's Day. <laughs> so, so if you're single, uh, if you're single, marriage is still for you, even if you never marry someone. 
marriage is still for you because it's a portrait of the gospel. And there are ways that you can affirm and strengthen the grace of men and women who are married. There's ways that you can, uh, that their marriages can strengthen you as a single person. It's a portrait of the gospel. We want to do that here. We would love for all of you to get married if you want to get married. We would love to help you find a spouse if you want to get married. But while God has you in singleness, God is teaching you something through marriage. And we want to encourage you and strengthen your heart and grace. For married men and women, purity in marriage, chase it down with all of your strength and energy. This is hard. Because purity in marriage is not just about your actions. It's about your attitude and friendships with others. Dudes, don't flirt with other women. Just don't. Just don't. Even if you're single and you don't have a girlfriend, don't flirt with other women. That's just cruel, man. It's not nice. Women don't flirt with other dudes. Nobody should be flirting with anybody unless you're married. And then flirt away. Have fun. Red wine, dark chocolate, Kenny G. Flirt. (laughs) And so we want to build, we want to grow your hearts in grace. We want to strengthen your heart with grace. See, all of this is about attitudes of the heart. I should have said that earlier on. Love for other Christians is about your heart being strengthened with grace and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hospitality towards strangers is about your heart being strengthened with grace and loving those who are not Christians and serving those who are not Christians because you love Jesus and you love them and you want them to know this Jesus who saved you. Having your heart strengthened in grace will also dictate how you care for the downtrodden because you won't say, I'm judging that person. He dug his own grave. He made his own bed. Now he's in prison for it. No, you will have a heart, a tender heart that's been strengthened in grace to go love and serve those who are down on their luck, even if it's by their own doing. Fourthly, your heart will be strengthened with grace and you will pursue marriage in all purity. And if you're single, you will foster purity for your own good and for the good of those who are married as well. So what strengthens what ways are you strengthening your marriage? Friends, if you're married, are there ways that you are strengthening your marriage? Men, are you building up your wives? I, I fail at this. I'll just tell you, I fail at this sometimes. I'm a self-centered man. Sometimes I'm a little boy, just want to pout in the corner. Um, but God's called me to serve and love my wife and build her up in grace. Likewise, women, are you building up your dudes in grace? Single people, are you encouraging others to be built up in grace? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in a pure way? All right, fifthly. And I'll just say this on the marriage thing. I just, I'm a big fan of marriage. I've been married 10 years. God has taught me so much about the gospel because of marriage. And so I'm a big fan of marriage. Uh, we want the marriages of this church to be just thriving in the gospel. And so if you are married or want to get married, or if you've been married before and you're not now, we want everyone to see the gospel at work in those circumstances. Uh, and so if you need uh, books to read, mentors to meet with. If you need counseling, talk to us. It's a good thing. I mean, we, we want to strengthen your heart and grace. So just let me know. If you're single and you want to talk about uh, marriage or singleness, uh, talk to me and we'll get you hooked up with some way for you, your heart to be encouraged with grace. Fifthly and finally, um, fifthly and finally, contentment and generosity. So living the life of gospel legacy is loving other Christians, hospitality towards strangers, caring for the downtrodden, having purity in marriage, all of this because your heart is strengthened by grace. And fifthly and finally, contentment and generosity. We see here that verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. If you look all the way down to verse uh, 16, um, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Contentment and generosity. 
Let me tell you a mind-blowing fact. Generosity has nothing to do with money. Nothing. It's an attitude of the heart. If you don't have a dime to your name and you're saying, I'll be generous when I have money, then you don't even know what generosity is. You can be flat broke and be a generous person. You see, generosity is an attitude of the heart. Don't wait for wealth to be generous. Generosity is a response to the gospel. If you're a Christian, you're called to be generous. You can be flat broke and be generous. You can be wealthy and be generous. There's this misconception, because misconceptions happen throughout history. In the first century, it was actually believed, before the time of Jesus, in in, in parts of Jewish culture in the first century, that wealth was a display of righteousness. So those who were wealthy were those who were just blessed by God because they were righteous people. And if you were poor, it's because you just weren't living rightly. There was that misconception. And sometimes we see that today, right? I mean, have you ever heard like the health and wealth people that say, hey, if you just need to have faith and then God will give you a Bentley? He, probably, he may not. I mean, he might, but he may not. Right? Also, I think there's been a trend in our culture today to see that poverty is actually more righteous than money. Right? I mean, have you ever thought, well, those rich people are just selfish? Really? Maybe they're not. I know some very Christian and very generous wealthy people. I know some very wicked, messed up poor people. You know what else? I know some very righteous, Christ-centered, gospel-centered poor people. And I know some very wicked, wealthy people. You see, money has nothing to do with it. Generosity is an attitude of the heart. Generosity is a response to the gospel. So if you're saying, Jeremy, I have a dollar, I will be generous to other people when I have a thousand dollars. Well, you know what? If you can't be generous with a dollar, what makes you think you can be generous with a thousand dollars? I'm not talking about giving money to the church. I'm just saying being generous. I'm saying tipping a waitress a little more than she deserves. Right? Tip, tip your server today. 20% at least. Even if the service is horrible, show them some grace. You can even tell them that. Say, the service was horrible. Jesus loves you. Here's 20% extra. And if you ever leave one of those tracks that looks like a $100 bill, and you're like, you know, open it disappointed, you won't be in Christ. Have you seen those? That's messed up. I was in seminary waiting tables at the pizza joint, busting my tail to pay for my MDiv. And I was so excited once I worked on a Sunday for one, wicked me. But I was working on a Sunday and somebody left that on the table. It looked like a $50 bill. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And I opened it up and it wasn't a $50 bill. It was a track that says you need to ask Jesus in your heart. I was angry. I'm like, Jesus is in my heart. And the wrath of God was, you know, so please don't ever do that. That's probably a pet peeve and has nothing to do with the gospel, but just don't do it. Tip big, be generous, buy coffee for people for no reason. Just do something awesome. I will tell you guys this on a random note. Many of you guys have gone through Financial Peace University, FPU, the Dave Ramsey stuff. And it comes up here numerous times in the life of this church. Awesome stuff. And, and, and there are ways that you can budget, even what little money you have, you can budget an amount to be generous uh, to somebody and just, just have it in your back pocket knowing that, hey, I have two bucks, it's not much, but that two dollars is going to be generous to somebody. And you could buy somebody two McDonald's hamburgers if you want, or a cup of coffee, or just whatever. So generosity is a response to the gospel. 
one of my favorite verses, and you've probably been very familiar with this, in Acts 2.42 through 47 is a display of what, uh, like when the church just gets like infused with the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Like the whole, God just pours his Holy Spirit down, people start just going crazy with the gospel in such a beautiful way. And there's this great display of they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and worship and fellowship and communion. And then there's this one statement that I love. It says, they had glad and generous hearts. I just love that statement. Because generosity is not what you do, it's an attitude of the heart. Scripture says that in Christ, when the Holy Spirit saves you and bonds his people together and says, you are going to live a life of gospel legacy, you are going to have a glad heart. You're going to have a generous heart. I mean, these were poor disciples, man, having being taxed 80% of their income, right? And they were sharing what little they had with each other because they had generous hearts. Because they said, hey, God's been generous to me. He saved my soul in Christ. I'm going to be generous to other people. All right. So in what ways are you being generous with your time? What ways are you being generous with your finances? What ways are you being generous with your resources, with your relationships, with your skills, with your talent? God has gifted everybody in various ways. Are you being generous to serve other believers, to serve non-Christians? Man, let me tell you, if you serve your non-Christian neighbor, if you're just generous with your time to your non-Christian neighbor, or with your resources to them, or your skills, or your talent, you know, you you have some talent. I mean, you can help your neighbor with something. So, I want us to think about these things as we wrap it up. Living the gospel legacy means that we consider the outcome of people's way, our leader's way of life, and we imitate their faith. Faith is ongoing relational trust in Jesus. Living the gospel legacy means it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So there are ways, as our hearts are strengthened, that we pour out grace to others. And there are ways that as we are pouring out grace to others, God is using that to strengthen your heart in grace. And those ways are loving Christians, hospitality to strangers, caring for the downtrodden, pursuing pursuing purity in marriage, and being content and generous in your heart. Those aspects of living the gospel legacy are not only reflections of a heart that's being built up in grace, those things will actually continue to build up your heart in grace. It's kind of this cool, awesome, cyclical situation. And the gospel. And so I want to ask you today, we have questions in the bulletin. These are meant to be ways for you to reflect and ways for you to uh, apply. You can discuss with your spouse or a friend or your missional community or DNA group. Think about the, I just put five questions in there. It's my attempt to, to build your heart up in grace, connecting the dots from scriptures uh, to your heart and to your life. Because if we walk away saying, I know this in my heart, and I know this in my brain, but I'm not going to do anything with it, uh, then we're missing out on what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Because the gospel is all-encompassing of your personhood. It's not just your mind. It's not just your heart. It's how you live life relationally with believers and non-believers as well. So as we close, I want you to reflect on those things. Uh, Because if you are not loving Christians, I mean, if if you are here today, and you're a Christian, you're a believer, if you are not loving other Christians, if you're not showing hospitality to strangers, if you're not caring for the downtrodden, if you're not pursuing purity in marriage, and if you're not content and being generous, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It just means that you're not tapping into the gospel in your day-to-day life. 
And so if you're like me, I'm telling there's five things here. There's a couple that I'm struggling with right now. I, I struggle with contentment and generosity. I do. I struggle with caring for the downtrodden, just so you guys know. I sometimes struggle with hospitality to strangers. Good grief, I struggle with everything, I guess. I'm a typical human being. And so if you're a believer like me, we need to repent of not believing the gospel because when we fail to do these things, it's because we're not faithing. Because we're not, we're not trusting Jesus. And so we need to repent. We need to turn from sin, turn from selfishness, and turn to Jesus. And as we turn to Jesus, our hearts will be strengthened with grace, and these things will pour out in our lives. If you're not a Christian, uh, we want you to know we're not telling you to do these five things so that God will love you. We're telling you that, that God loves you and that in Christ you were accepted, hands down. You don't have to do anything. You can just you say, man, I'm a sinner, I'm wicked, and then you repent. That just means turning, and you see what Jesus is doing to save you, and you believe, you trust, you faith, and then out of those things, this will happen. Uh, so let me pray, and uh, we'll close. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to your people. God, I thank you that you are a loving God, a loving Father, that in Christ we are new creations, that in Christ we are forgiven of sin and idolatry, that you are a loving, patient groom who's chasing down your fickle, wayward bride. God, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts in grace. God, in the gospel, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive this good news by your Holy Spirit, that you would transform us as men and women in the gospel. God, that you would strengthen our marriages. God, for the men in this room, I pray that we would be stellar men of character, reflecting Christ to our wives, to our children, to one another. God, that we would be servants, humble. God, that we would be confident in who you've called us to be and how you've called us to live. That we would repent often of sin and idolatry and failures. And that we would embrace and believe forgiveness in the gospel. God, that you would strengthen the work of our hands. That we may display your goodness to the nations, to our family to the community, to our co-workers, to our schools, to the neighborhood, to this church. God, I pray for the women in this room. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them as women in the gospel, as wives, as moms. God, that you would give them strong, compassionate hearts, strengthened by grace, that they would be encouraged and also encouragers. God, that, that together as brothers and sisters, that we would love one another, serve one another, build each other up in grace. And God, that as a community of faith, the city uh, would take note, not at Redemption Church, but at the gospel. God, God, that they would see a loving Father, a beautiful Savior. God, I pray that amazing things would happen in our midst for your glory, for our joy, and that the gospel would advance. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen.